Hey, it's Mike, and this podcast is brought to you by Legion, my line of naturally sweetened and flavored workout supplements. Now, as you probably know, I'm really not a fan of the supplement industry. I've wasted thousands and thousands of dollars over the years on worthless supplements that basically do nothing. And I've always had trouble finding products actually worth buying. And especially as I've gotten more and more educated as to what actually works and what doesn't. And eventually after complaining a lot, I decided to do something about it and start making my own supplements. The exact supplements I myself have always wanted. A few of the things that make my products unique are one, they're 100% naturally sweetened and flavored, which I think is good because while artificial sweeteners may not be as harmful as some people claim. There is research that suggests regular consumption of these chemicals may not be good for our health, particularly our gut health. So I like to just play it safe and sweeten everything with stevia and erythritol, which are natural sweeteners that actually have health benefits, not health risks. Two, all ingredients are backed by peer-reviewed scientific research that you can verify for yourself. If you go on our website and you check out any of our product pages, you're going to see that we explain why we've chosen each ingredient and we cite all supporting evidence in the footnotes so you can go look at the research for yourself and verify that we're doing the right thing. Three, all ingredients are also included at clinically effective dosages, which are the exact dosages used in those studies that prove their effectiveness. This is very important because while a molecule might be proven to, let's say, improve your workout performance, not all dosages are going to improve your workout performance. If you take too little you're not going to see any effects. You have to take the right amounts. And the right amounts are the amounts proven to be effective in scientific research. And four, there are no proprietary blends, which means you know exactly what you're buying when you buy our supplements. All of our formulations are 100% transparent in terms of ingredients and dosages. So if that sounds interesting to you and you want to check it out, then go to www.legionathletics.com. That's L-E-G-I-O-N athletics.com. And if you like what you see and you want to buy something, use the coupon code code podcast, P-O-D-C-A-S-T, and you will save 10% on your order. Also, if you like what I have to say in my podcast, then I guarantee you'll like my books. I make my living primarily as a writer, so as long as I can keep selling books, then I can keep writing articles over at Muscle for Life and Legion and recording podcasts and videos like this and all that fun stuff. Now, I have several books, but the place to start is Bigger, Leaner, Stronger if you're a guy and Thinner, Leaner, Stronger if you're a girl. Now, these books, they're basically going to teach you everything you need to know about dieting, training, and supplementation to build muscle, lose fat, and look and feel great without having to give up all the foods you love or live in the gym grinding away at workouts you hate. And you can find my books everywhere. You can buy books online like Amazon, Audible, iBooks, Google Play, Barnes & Noble, Kobo, and so forth. And if you're into audiobooks like me, you can actually get one of my audiobooks for free with a 30-day free trial of Audible. To do that, go to www.muscleforlife.com forward slash audiobooks. That's musclefor.life.com forward slash audiobooks, and you'll see how to do this. So thanks again for taking the time to listen to my podcast. I hope you enjoy it, and let's get to the show. Hey, 
Hey, hey, this is Mike, and welcome to another episode of the Muscle for Life podcast. In this episode, I interview a professional bodybuilder and coach named Alberto Nunez from the Team 3DMJ crew. He is the last on the roster, so I have now interviewed them all. And in this interview, we are going to talk about how to find and fix or how to spot and fix muscle imbalances in your physique. I thought Alberto would be the perfect guy to talk to about this because he not only talks the talk, but he walks the walk. I mean, he lives this stuff. He's an accomplished bodybuilder with uh, an absolutely insane physique himself. And he and his team of coaches have also helped hundreds of other bodybuilders build their best physiques ever and, you know, make a career for themselves. I'm also excited to put this interview up because it's something I get asked about all the time from both guys and girls. So I'm sure there are quite a few of you out there that could also use some help in this regard. Now, as you'll see, the whole topic of muscle imbalances is actually pretty simple and straightforward when explained correctly. You really just have to understand that a handful of technical points and guidelines, and then you know exactly what you have to do to balance out your physique left to right and front to back, which many people don't necessarily think of. Oh, and I do have to warn you about one thing. Unfortunately, my audio is shit in this interview. Uh, My good microphone decided to stop playing nice with the program that I used to record Skype interviews, and I didn't know that until we went to go record the interview. So I figured, you know, I I have my only backup that I had was my webcam's terrible mic, but I figured it would be better to just do the interview and I'll just try to like speak as little as possible than not do it at all. So uh, I do try to talk, you know, as little as I can. So you shouldn't get too annoyed by it and it won't happen again because now I have two good backups, but sorry about that. Anyways, that's everything. Let's get to the interview. Alberto, thanks for coming on the podcast. Finally, we, uh, our schedules, the stars have aligned and we're here. Yeah. We've been trying this for quite a while now. Um, <laughs> And as of today, we haven't figured it out so far. I have my fingers crossed. But uh, yeah, no, happy to be here. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to have you because the subject room talking about here, Weak Boy Training, is something that I get asked about fairly frequently. And it's something I've written a little bit about it. I haven't, I don't think I've ever really spoken about it much, at least. I haven't dived into it like we're going to do. And I think you're someone that you're a perfect type of person to talk to about this because you, quite frankly, have more experience with this than I do as a competitive bodybuilder and working with competitive bodybuilders. So I'm excited to learn a bit myself about how you go about it in with your body and with the people that you train and so forth. Yeah. Yeah. This is, uh, I think, and we're going to get into a few uh, tangents with, with other strength athletes, but I think that's a good place to start is just other strength athletes and and how you can see that, I guess, not everyone grows exactly the same. Right. So and maybe, take, maybe let's start with defining what, what really, when, when can you actually say, this is my weak point? Because I get a fair amount of people that reach out that have been lifting for, you know, maybe three or six months and they notice that their chest seems to be lagging or it's not as growing, not growing as quickly as their friends or as quickly as they wanted it to. But I wouldn't necessarily say that, oh, well, there you, okay, fine. Let's 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 change everything. Let's now train chest five. Uh, train chest five days a week now. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. You know the the most practical route I, I feel when you first decide that I'm going to start training with weights is something probably very similar to a starting strength type of program. Right. Most of us never take that route. Obviously, you know we do <laughs> all the things that are popular that you know have been time proven by the big guys, right? Yeah. 
And we start there, and then we look back and we realize that, oh, wow, there probably would have been a much more time-efficient way to get here. That's, um, my, that's, my, that's my story. Six or seven years of, like, bodybuilding, bodybuilding, you know, magazine-type workouts without really uh, analyzing what I was doing or why or what I was really getting out of it. It was kind of just a thing I would do, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you go with what the, the popular culture says is, is right. And, you know, at that point, you, you don't really, you know, you can't distinguish what is right and what isn't. And now when, when I do get my hands on a, you know, just a fresh out the box, like 15, 16-year-old athlete that, you know, maybe they've been lifting for two months and it's been kind of off and on, it, it's like, okay, you are about to be amazed because in a year we're going to make an, an amount of progress that I feel had we not had this intervention it probably would have taken you three years to get there. Um, so, yeah, I think initially, uh, hypothetically speaking, in theory, someone just fresh out the box, just green, you take them through something like that, and almost right away, or at least once the beginner uh, phase is, is out the way, which happens quite quickly. That intermediate phase is just so long. But once we start poking into, into that phase, you, you'll see that, oh, there's certain body parts that grow really well that you really can't explain why your calves have gotten so much bigger, you know, for some people just definitely, <laughs> right. But then there'll be other body parts that where you're like, man, it's, it's like my arms have gotten yeah. bigger from all this pressing shoulders too, but my chest is just not keeping up with uh, yeah. everything else. So I'd say right around the intermediate phase is, is a good place to kind of start scouting around for, what body parts are probably going to need a little bit of extra attention and that's probably a good time and place to perhaps start adding some isolation work would, and, you, and yeah, would you would you agree that that's probably i don't know i'd say between the eight month and 12 month mark something around there or yeah or do yeah. you even start looking earlier and with some people even even faster i can think of two situations where i i've if were 15 or 17 years old somewhere in between there and within a year, we were deadlifting 500 pounds for reps. Wow. Um, That's insane. And it was just because we did everything right. You yeah. Know? So no wear, unnecessary wear and tear. It yeah. was very linear. Whenever we thought we'd get stuck, we'd take a step back and regenerate things again. But, but yeah, yeah, right around, yeah, I'd say six months to a year for most people. That's about as long as the intermediate, pay, the, the beginner phase will, will last. Right. One thing you will notice is that with other strength athletes outside of chiefly physique athletes, they don't like to consider themselves strength athletes, but they, they, that's, that's what they are, uh, the physique athletes, rather. Right. Um, when you look at Olympic lifters, for example, uh, you will see that their training probably looks very similar. I don't think they spend too much time curling and, and doing lateral raises and, and such. <laughs> but, you know, via very similar movements, they all kind of end up in different places. Like, this guy has some amazing shoulders, and you're like, I know you're not, you know, hitting your side delts four times a week or anything like that. Yeah. Um, so it, that's where you can kind of start to distinguish it. Oh, like if you look at those sports, that yeah, you know, we can do the same movements, but people are going to respond somewhat differently. Right. Um, but you also don't want to make the mistake of you know too early on focusing on something that you might think is a weak body part, when in reality, actually, this is this is something that we should bring up is is the fact that as you're going through your beginner phase, you're still green, you're still new, you just might not know how to 
actually use those areas of your body uh, totally. in the right manner. Yeah, I hear from a lot of people, uh, like you probably have heard from, if, you, if you've worked with a lot of people brand new, heard from a lot of guys that were new to lifting in particular that, for example, had a hard time feeling like they were really engaging their chest through pressing or, or their back through pulling. Like I've heard from quite a few guys that it took a good three or four months of working at it before they really actually felt their back muscles working you know, in a way that they would have expected to feel it as opposed to they would feel a lot in their biceps and they eventually, you know, would feel fatigue in their back, but not the real, you know, mind muscle connection, so to speak. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, we're quick to want to add something and be proactive, but sometimes it's like, hey, let's take a step back and let's see if we can once again brush up on, on, on these basics. And yeah. I think that's very important. All other sports do it. You know, when you look at some of the drills that, you know, a 10-year-old baseball players doing, they're very similar to what the guys in the majors do. You still have to brush up on those things and right. make sure they stay sharp and sometimes reevaluate the way you do things. Right. Okay, so you have somebody in the beginning, they're, they're working mainly on their, on their compound lifts. Depending on the program, there might be some isolation work in there. So now they're, they're coming into this intermediate phase. What would you now, how, how would you, is this just by visual? You would say, you know, okay, let's, let's look at your physique and, and, and how are you kind of pinpointing weak points? And then we can start talking about like, well, what do you, what do you do about it? And then also, if you want to throw in any sort of mistakes, common mistakes that you see, see people making once they get to that phase, like, sure. I mean, it's a common mistake in the beginning to veer too far away from the basics, like you were saying, but what, what are some of the things that people run into, you know, when it actually does start to make sense to, to look for adapting the training to your own body, you know? Yeah. And we'll assume that throughout the process, getting to this point where we're like, okay, our arms are stubborn. Yeah. Uh, that we've we've done we're doing our movements in, in the correct manner you know yeah. we're, when we're rowing we're using our back when we're pressing we're using we're, we're getting help from our chest all that stuff so with all that in place uh yeah the first place you would go to is is definitely what is missing what seems to not be growing is as well and, and then entering the intermediate phase you'll probably start off with something that's pretty symmetrical across the board in regards to how we're scattering the isolation work mostly you try that first you know maybe you weren't doing arms more than once a week early on right yeah or not or not at all uh, i mean depending on what or not at all yeah, yeah yeah and now it's gotten to the point where like okay it's time to bring in all these these isolation movements into play you start off with something that's pretty symmetrical mm -hmm. uh, something pretty basic and, and generic looking and so in, in the case of arms meeting you might do an arm session every week that looks like uh, some curling some close grip pressing or push downs or something like that with moderate exactly with moderately heavy weight something that looks pretty pretty neutral and give that a go for a while and since you are introducing new movements I, I do think it's important to make sure that those movements are being done correctly I think mm -hmm. one of the issues with isolation movements is that ideally we're moving one or, or, or in some movements, two joints at a time, mm -hmm. but it's very easy to get other joints involved. You know, I think we, we've all seen it with lateral raises, with curls, where it's very easy to get help from your ankles, your knees, your hips, your yeah. back. So I guess that's, 
it's kind of nice that in, in this case we get to break it up into we focus we focus on our main lifts first initially coming coming out of the gates yeah. and now let's bring in some new movements and like learn to master these you know you don't want to be working on too many things at once right um, so you try that master that master these movements give those a go for a while and often what does happen is that a lot of those body parts that we assume to be just weak mm-hmm. we're just undertrained yeah. Like, I, I don't know about you, but I see that with guys, at least. I see that a lot with shoulders. My shoulders were always, like, I mean, stubborn. My chest always just responded well to pretty much anything I did. My biceps also, but I, I guess my arms in general. So, like, my pressing and, and pulling have always been decent, but my shoulders have taken a ton of work, a lot of isolation work, because, you know, I, you can get real strong on your overhead press, but that doesn't mean you're going to have those side delts or those rear delts that really mm. round it all out. Yeah, yeah, and... It's one of those things now where I'm sure your training looks very, like, not, not so symmetrical. Like, right. there's certain parts that you're like, I don't have to curl that much. I'll be yep. fine. Yep. But it was a process to I didn't get do there. a curl for six months just because I actually felt my biceps were getting too big and, like, my shoulders couldn't. Like, that means I need more shoulders and my shoulders are just stubborn. So I stopped curling and I just was, you know, heavy pulling and that was enough to me. I didn't lose any, any arm size. And that's one thing you do discover when you do break. You get into that next phase where it's like, okay, there's only so much I can do within a training cycle, a training block. There are certain things that you have to put on the back burner a bit. But before we get to that, actually, so again, we're, we're running at this point with like just very symmetrical training, like a very generic upper-lower kind of split, right? Right. 70 reps per body part or around there twice a week. Everything mm-hmm. is pretty much in line. And then you realize that, okay, shoot, my shoulders don't grow. Let's up the dose basically the mm-hmm. dose of stimulus and, and I that's say the basic pl- mechanism in play right it's like if you want to get if you want your muscles to get bigger and stronger you have to do more work and you have to you have to you can't just go forever because you just be you know you run yourself into the ground but mm-hmm. ultimately you know you're gonna have to do more if you want that muscle if what you're doing right now is not getting it done and you're eating right and so forth is that kind of the basic if you just a boil it down to a simple principle is we have to figure out how to do more on that muscle group. Yeah. And I think initially, and especially with isolation movements, since they're so limited in regards to how much we can actually progress. Right. You know, we, we always talk about being progressive with our training. I think the first thing that people think of is adding more weight to the bar Uh and for a press, for a deadlift, for a squat, that's, that's a little bit easier to come by, but with isolation movements, you know, you might be curling the same way for the next two months. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So you know, you, you're you're going to have to be extra patient. But one thing, when it comes to the increasing weight on those movements, and often increasing weight too fast on isolation movements, mm. you know, it's a recipe for for disaster for sure. So what you end up doing is adding volume. That's probably the most practical way. Right. Of and just so everybody knows, we're talking about adding reps. Adding reps or or even sets. Maybe you were doing five sets of um, isolated medial delt work and you're like let's 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 double this the sure go around yeah, so I meant, I meant actually just yeah doing more reps whether however you break it up into mm-hmm. sets but you know if, if you did 50 reps for that muscle group last week you might do 60 this week or something like that yeah so adding volume adding adding a rep here and there maybe a set here and there is probably the most practical way of improving those weak body parts right and have you found this is a question from just 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 from from my experience have you found though that like i 
I feel like, I mean, I, I progressed on isolation exercises and just my, like focusing on just progressive overload and getting stronger. I feel like for, for quite a while I was able, now it was harder. Yeah. It's, it's, I feel like it's easier to gain five pounds in your deadlift than it is to gain five pounds on your curl. You have to work a bit harder for it. But I mean, I remember from in, in the, over the course of several years, I remember when it used to be kind of hard to curl 45s for sets of six to eight. And now, I mean, again, I started curling again a little bit just because I kind of miss it, to be honest, but I'm not doing too much. But when I was like really kind of going at it, I was up to maybe seven years, 75 for sets of four to six or so. So it took a while, but, you know, I don't know. That, that's been my experience, at least. As opposed yeah, to like, just kind of sticking in 50 and trying to go for unlimited reps, you know what I mean? Yeah, uh, you know, subjective progress on these movements is is also a great way to, to go about it. Maybe you just, you feel maybe a better contraction in those movements, whereas when you first made that jump to that next set of dumbbells, uh, it was one of those things where um, you just didn't feel much, it as much. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and maybe now in your four sets of 10, you have a few more reps left in reserve, whereas the first few times you barely made it there. So subjective progress, I think, is is also a great way to go about it when it comes to those isolation movements. Speaking of just, I guess, uh, the, the user experience, you know, when you're squatting, when you're deadlifting, you know, sometimes you're, you're just trying not to be crushed often, right? So you don't necessarily always feel these movements the way you yeah. would an isolation movement. Yeah. And I think that's something to definitely take into consideration that while that's true, low Load is, is, is a wonderful proxy for muscular tension. With the isolation movements, sometimes jumping up an increment can mean there's actually less tension uh, placed on the targeted muscle group. So that's always something that you have to remember. Yeah, that's true. When you're trying to add some weight or rep there is like, am I actually targeting this muscle group the way I, I intended to? Yeah, and that kind of comes back to that rep quality point that, that you've mentioned where there's just going through the motions, they may look, you know, you have two versions of an exercise that look approximately the same, but they're really not the same in terms of what's going on physiologically. Mm -hmm. That mind-muscle connection, which is starting to become more popular again, and I'm glad to see it uh, make a comeback because yeah. I, I do feel it makes a, a huge difference. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, I mean, you can feel it immediately if it's that difference of, do you feel the muscle really working and you feel it uh, contracting the way that, you know, as forcefully as possible and so forth, or do you feel like your limbs are kind of going through a motion that doesn't involve your lats at all, for example? I mean, there's, it just makes one of those things that's like, it makes too much just common sense to, to be completely invalid. And the fact that it's been kicking around in the bodybuilding world for decades now is, is probably evidence enough as well. Exactly. We have people exactly. have dedicated their entire lives to figuring this kind of stuff out. Yeah, they may have not you know, had it formalized and published in a journal. You know, that's there are a lot of smart people that have put a lot of time and thought into this. Yeah, and pretty soon here, I, I think I heard Brett Contreras talk about they're going to actually do some research where they compare having experienced lifters do a movement while focusing on external cues versus mm. internal cues. Mm. And I really, what I think is going to happen is it's going to make a huge difference and it's going to make an even bigger difference primarily when it comes to the isolation movements. Whereas I can understand, you know, if you're going to do a deadlift correctly, maybe external cues might like, you know, break the floor things like that yeah. might make more sense. There's really only one proper way of doing a deadlift or, right. you know, for that specific person. But curling, I guess there's there's such a fine line when it comes to, you know, making a small little tweak in the movement this way or that way can make all the difference. And sometimes, again, that makes problems disappear, like weak body parts. 
become not so weak. I can think of my calves being one of those body parts where I they're still not very good, but tweaking the form has been probably the, the biggest help in, in my calf development. Whereas like the training volume has honestly not changed in, in years, but they continue to improve because I do I'm much more uh, with that mind muscle connection when it comes to, to my calves, which was That's very hard for me. I, I want to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> that is worse. I like, yeah, I mean, genetically, I had nothing in calves. Anything that I have has been like, I've had to work way too hard is how it feels for for what I have. And I'm sure mine are worse than yours. But I, I'll ask you after the podcast what you did, what you did there. So so now let's, let's shift to, this is also something common that, you know, I come across all the time. It's very relevant. So you have people that... Really, their goals are, are more along the lines of, of bodybuilding and that, yes, they want to be strong, but they want to have a certain look and they want to have, mm-hmm. um, you know, there's even, I mean, I think there's probably some validity to like quantifying it using, you know, you fight where you take different measurements and using fee, the golden ratio, it kind of gives you some ideas on how wide you want your, your, your shoulders circumference to be versus your waist and versus blah, blah, this, whatever. And so you have people that that's what kind of what, why they got into weightlifting on the aesthetic or visual side of things, but they're training more like just doing powerlifting type of type of training and wondering why, because I've come up and wondering why, like why, why are their legs and ass huge, but their upper, you know, their shoulders haven't really come in as much and their lats mm-hmm. haven't come in as much where, because, you know, those types of programs don't involve much isolation work. And there's a lot of information, like advice kicking around on the internet that, you know, you don't need to curl. Like you should never do a curl. You, all you got to do is, you know, heavy deadlifts and you're going to get 18 inch arms and, you know, you never need to do a tricep push down, just OHP and bench press. That's it. So I'd be curious as to your thoughts on that. And, you know, just how do people, how, how should they be approaching their training in, in context of their actual goals? Why, what are they trying to achieve? I think if I go back maybe 10 years ago, the whole power building thing wasn't mm-hmm. very, very popular at all. Yeah. And I can't explain to you how it, it, it came about, but eventually, I, I you know, heard. we can all thank him. <laughs> power building just became very, very popular. And, and then, you know, obviously uh, bodybuilders, you know, especially the, those, those bodybuilders that just at this point, they're willing to do anything to just get a little better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Especially at the intermediate phase where, you know, just showing up isn't showing up and training hard doesn't bring the same results that, you know, that, that when you were first starting yeah. um, would bring, right? So they looked into what powerlifters were doing and they had these really objective plans where this is what we're going to do. We're going to monitor all these variables. And when you think about it, I mean, it makes sense to approach your training in that way, even, mm-hmm. if, even if strength isn't your, your main goal. Bodybuilders have been doing this with their nutrition for years where you know, they set up these plans you know, instead of frequency, volume, and intensity, it's fat, you know, carbs, and protein. Yeah. And whenever they're stuck in whichever direction, whether it be gaining or losing, they move a few things around and boom, plateaus over. We get to continually progress. So obviously, I think powerlifters, uh, bodybuilders didn't have much experience with creating their own templates that mm-hmm. cater to their own needs. So they borrowed a lot from powerlifters. And I think your first few goes at it, you're going to make some great progress head to toe just because the novelty of the, of, of the program, it's organized, you're going to progress. Yeah. So you'll make some progress, but then eventually it gets to the point where it just becomes too specialized. And I, I remember jumping on that bandwagon myself, and I think maybe about six months into it, I was like, you know what? My shoulders just don't look the same anymore. My arms are down 
I think about half an inch. Mm. Um, so a lot of the things in the extremities, lats look a little bit different. I just didn't have that full round bodybuilder look that yeah. I was used to, but I was much stronger. And now we, we, we kind of, you know, a few years later, we kind of understand that, yeah, you know, these, these concepts are great. We can learn a lot from this, but if your main goal is to improve aesthetically, we're going to have to move around some things and apply a lot of the things that powerlifters have been applying to the squat, bench, and deadlift to to our lats, to our hamstrings, mm -hmm. to just everything. And, and being able to, at least for the most part, have a good understanding of what you can do should you get stuck. Right. So I, honestly, yeah, it, we kind of slow down for a minute there, I feel like. We kind of... Like, no, it's a, it's, a, it's, a good, it's a good point. The reason I want to bring that up is because I know I get asked about it, and is, where people, because a lot of people, mm -hmm. at least that I hear from, they get into weightlifting via a program like Starting Strength or Strong Lifting, mm -hmm. and then they do that for a bit. Then you know, I'll get, I'll just hear from people that then they're, they're not, they feel like their physique isn't going in the direction that they want. Like they're happy with uh, things are much better, and and they've gotten a lot stronger, and they're happy with that. But you know, they can see that. Again, with guys, it's 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 usually uh, lats lagging, shoulders lagging, a lot of times chest as well. But lower body bigger than they necessarily they they feel like they made like seventy percent of their progress in their lower body, and like thirty percent of their progress in their upper body. Arms are not what they want, so that's why I think it's just a good a good quick little tangent because it is it basically they're they're creating their own weak points in a sense because that's not those programs are for whole body strength so you can press mm -hmm. pull and squat it's not so you can have pretty delts or pretty lats or pretty biceps yeah and and you know I think. I mean, now we know. Now we know that hey, that's not enough. But there was a point in time where I was kind of folded. You know, basically, you know, if I do a lot of the big compound movements, it's going to take care of everything else, and that's just certainly, certainly not the case. Mm -hmm. I think I ran about five continuous. Uh, they're called shiko or shiko cycles. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Depends on who you ask, but it was fun and, and I, it was quite an educational experience. And I use it to this day when I program for my bodybuilding. It's just that the work is obviously scattered a, a bit differently. Yeah. Um, another tangent, actually, you will see a friend of mine, Lane Norton. Mm -hmm. If you look at his pictures prior to powerlifting, dude had some of the like most ridiculous looking arms, especially yeah. for a natural bodybuilder. And he found out he was really good at this powerlifter thing, focused on that for a few years. And like what you described, you can see a few body parts are growing, but then the other things kind of got left behind. So yeah. what can we take from these strength programs? Yeah, it's just the fact that it's important to control for the variables that, that, that we need to in order to have a solid resistance training program. And that's going to be the volume, the frequency, the intensity, knowing where those things are at. And then again, scattering the volume in a way that makes sense uh, based on, on your own personal goals. Totally. And how might that look? I mean, obviously, this is very is very personalized and it's something that's hard to give a one size fits all. It's very easy. Like in my in my work, the programs that I basic programs I have for men and women, it's easy to give a, a program that has you squat, deadlift, press, OHP every week and adding some isolation work and then guys focus a little bit more on your upper body than your lower body with girls vice versa and mm -hmm. that, that's good I, I i think it's a great place for anybody to start like kind of a power bodybuilding approach like like you mm -hmm. were saying or power building approach but then 
okay, so we're at the point now where in some cases, I mean, again, I've, I've also heard from quite a few people that didn't need to do really anything else, not plugging my own stuff, but didn't need anything really beyond like a good basic strength program with some isolation accessory work tacked onto it. And they just had good genetics and they didn't get hurt and they did everything right. And, you know, look at them. I mean, it's hard to even find anything wrong with their physiques. But those aren't, I would say those are the outliers, at least to some mm-hmm. degree. So how does it start? How does it look where you have somebody, let's assume they, they understand the, the fundamentals of strength training and they've gotten good at that. But I guess we could break it down by gender even. What have you seen in terms of we can look at guys and girls separately and just to uh, address some of the common issues that I know the listeners, like some guy right now is sitting there going, my shoulders are too small. What do I do? My lats are too small. What do I do? My chest mm-hmm. or, or a girl saying my butt isn't the way that I want it to be or my arms aren't quite there, or my legs and so forth. And how do you kind of program that or what would be some examples? Well, of course, initially, just something basic. Let nature do its thing. You might get one of those freaks where it's like, wow, we have done minimal rowing, but you have a terrace major that like looks like <laughs> my bicep, you know? Yeah. Um, fine. You know, the, lucky you, right? Yeah. Um, but that's usually not the case. Then you get to the intermediate phase where it's like, okay, now we really have to tack on uh, some more volume and kind of just scatter volume into all those body parts that won't get as much love from the beginner phase. Right. Uh, and again, that's going to look very generic, very... Uh, similar across the board uh, and then you try that you prog- try to progress as much as you can with that for a while and then some body parts hey they actually come out and play and you're like ah oh, look at that I, I, I actually have biceps now now that yeah. we're doing more than just plenty of rowing so in that then, case just for example you might have someone let's say they're doing their back proper they're doing their rowing they're pulling on one day and then a few days later they're doing in this case it could be some curling for example Mm-hmm. Maybe I'd say a good place to start is twice a week frequency because mm-hmm. that's about where you will be most of your training career. So hitting body parts twice a week. Yeah, I, I, would, I would say they're hitting body parts that you want to continue progressing on, though. Like I've also heard from people or they're they say, like, especially girls, they don't want any more in a certain area of their body. Should they still mm-hmm. be doing, you know, if they don't want I've heard from, for example, swimmers that they they. They don't want more back. So should they still be doing, you know, should be training their back twice a week? No, no. <laughs> it's, I, yeah, I, I wouldn't recommend that if you don't, if you want, like if you're trying to just keep it the way it is, then, you know, there's no reason to just, you know, um, be a slave to, oh, I should just be training everything twice a week. Yeah, yeah. No, if, if you identify a, a body part as highly gifted or, or highly unwanted for whatever reason. Right. Like, I, I know a few guys, you know, because you know how calves are. Both you and I know how calves are. Some people just have them, some people don't. Who yeah. They don't train calves because they can't get their knee sleeves on. <laughs> you know? So it's I like, know a guy like that. Dude, people come up to him in the gym, guy, bodybuilder types, mainly guys, and, they're, and they'll, they'll ask him how the fuck he got his calves because they're ridiculous. They're straight yeah. bicep status calves, and he's never trained them once. He's like, I don't know, I was fat for like a long time, and that's it. That's it. <laughs> that's it. Walking on planet Earth, yeah. Yeah, so yeah, you can definitely trim off some volume, I'd say, in the intermediate phase, but I think what most people will find themselves doing is having to add more mm-hmm. like once you you go with a program that's pretty symmetrical and then you're like shoot still not working still not working let's add more mm-hmm. so you add more volume there and where i think we start to do some things that might be kind of counterintuitive is when we start to really just take away from the body parts that okay for sure we know they grow well it's yeah. not a fluke 
and that's what I would call more of a specialization cycle because there's there's only so much of you to go around in regards to physical recovery uh -huh. and even like mental recovery. You can't. I've I've tried to. I, I've committed very short term to programs that did everything, and that never works out. Uh -huh. um, like seven days a week, hour and a half a day. You know, uh, yeah, we have like, I guess, uh, glutes are a big one where people do like four different movements for, for glutes. And it's like, ah, don't do that until you, you're sure you, you have to get there. So right. the, the final step would be, and this is something that somewhere in the middle towards the late part of the intermediate phase, you start to strip off volume from other body parts that just seem to grow no matter what. Mm -hmm. And it's going to allow those other body parts that just are not progressing the way you like to, you know, sneak in a little bit more progress. One thing you will find out though, is that those body parts that you don't intend to grow, they have such a, especially for some people, they have, so, they're so sensitive to stimulus that they grow even better that whatever was, I guess, the textbook recommendation for, say, your biceps, mm -hmm. if anything was slowing down the rate at which they progress and you backed off a little bit and you're like, wow, now they're growing better because they're, they're such high responders to training. It's interesting. Um, yeah, that I've I've had that happen. For example, with my quad, with my quads, where I continuously, continuously over the years, I've been dropping the volume, dropping the volume, and there's still the body part that grows at the most astonishing rate relative to everything else. Hmm. But yeah, the last leg is is probably that, and I think it's hard for a lot of people to back off when it comes to the body parts that yeah. grow quite well because it's fun to train things that you're really good at. Yeah. <laughs> so. Totally. Okay, so then what are some like some, some examples of isolation exercises that you like to add for bringing up certain body parts? Like, What are some good choices for the common stubborn body parts? You brought up gender-specific issues, and I think one thing that happens often with, with women is that they don't yearn to be as progressive when it comes to the resistance training, right. whereas when you get a male trainee of anything, you know, if... if dude has jumped up 15% in his curls over the last six weeks, you're going to be like, I need to see those curls because yeah. I don't think they're curls anymore. With women, it's, it's I think, very important to make them hungry to progress, to get stronger. And I think once they see just how well progressive overload works, they'll be more hooked on that notion. And totally. I think that's one of, one of the main reasons that the barbell a glute thrust. It's a wonderful movement yeah. and it makes sense. But I think one of the reasons that it's it's uh, become so popular and so many people swear by it is because here you have this very simple barbell movement, which is, again, because it's a barbell movement, it's a lot more practical to continuously load over time. Yeah. And, and you have these women like just anxious to progress and boom, you have body parts that, that improve. So I think for, for women, uh, when addressing those weaker body parts, body parts that they perhaps don't like the way they look, it's important to really get them to buy into the, hey, we need to progress. Because often, even those body parts, that they might be a bit confused as to why it looks that way. They might think that uh, what we need to do is reduce it, but often the answer is like, no, 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 if we put some muscle there, yeah. it's going to really help contour the area, and you'd yeah. be surprised as to how much better it's going to look, even if we kept stayed at, at about the same body fat. Right. Totally. And then, uh, of course, there's speaking of body fat then once they once they see how the once they see the real interaction between gaining muscle and really just body composition they see how that works mm -hmm. then they're not afraid of getting bulky anymore because they know it's all in their control i mean if they if they are going to hang out around 20 percent body fat then it's going to be very hard to ever look bulky it's going to take mm -hmm. a lot of work if they want to hang out around 25 or, or higher then it's going to be easier so you know at, at least it's they can make the choice 
Yes, I, I would say that for most drug-free lifters, and especially women, it's going to be very hard to look bulky if you have your body fat under control. Totally. If it's bulky, it's because it's just a diet thing. Totally, totally. So, so we have the, the hip thrust for, for bringing up glutes. Any other specific isolation exercises that you like to use with women? I mean, obviously, I don't know how it's been for you. The majority of women that I've heard from, they want to do something about, it's usually lower body or more mm -hmm. arms. Those, those tend to be the two things. Yeah. Yeah. And, and women tend to hold whole body fat typically in, in their limbs. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you have to take them through a few fat loss phases to sell them on the notion that, hey, it's more about just diet yeah. until it all looks right. Right. Is there any other, but, other lower body uh, type isolation exercises that you like to use with women? Or is it mainly sticking to compounds and then just adding, um, you know, stuff for the glutes as needed? Yeah, I think sticking to the compounds is, is where you go first. And if that doesn't work, then perhaps, yeah, we might have to look into some sort of specialization type cycles and, you know, back extensions with, uh, or, or rather hip extensions, but mm -hmm. they look more like, they look more like back extensions on a 45 degree uh, bench. Those are, those are wonderful glute thrusts, things like that. But I think with women, the main thing is selling them on being progressive with, with movements. Yeah. And again, it's counterintuitive. It's like, but my butt is like, why am I going to do, why am I going to lift weights? Because they automatically assume that it's just going to inflate <laughs> uh, that area even, even further. Yeah. Uh, so glute thrusts have been, have been wonderful, I think, in regards to giving something, giving, giving them something to look forward to because right. we, we, it, it seems very proactive. And, and then also because it's quite easy to progress. And I think for anyone, even if their goal wasn't to get stronger, once you get that feeling of being stronger, I mean, who doesn't want to be strong, right? Yeah, that becomes part of the, 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 yeah. the thrill. Yeah. So with women, I definitely would say it's, it's more about just getting them to mm. grind away. With, with men, if anything, especially with isolation movements in the body parts that men tend to want more of, if anything, it's like, hey, I think we do better if we left our you know our ego at the door yeah. and actually focus on on curling correctly tricep extensions correctly right. um, using our lats when we row um, right. that sort of stuff right totally so to that point what are some of the exercises you like to you like to use with guys when you're when you're doing these specialization cycles mm. i would say that um the delt thing is actually quite common mm -hmm. um and delt is almost one of those body parts where you can't have enough of those. Like I don't hear many. Like uh, hardly anyone's ever complaining about how big their delts were and are, and how they wish they would atrophy a bit. No. Yeah. Um, so teaching people to do lateral raises correctly, I think, is a it's a big one. What are the and key points there? Key points, I would say, for sure, being extra patient with how you progress. I think. Mm -hmm. And again, I'm I'm a slightly different situation because I've been training for 15 years, 16 almost now. And so I'm very close to my ceiling, but this two year off season where it's been focused on putting on muscle, I think I've added maybe two and a half pounds to my lateral raise in the, in the six to eight rep range. So it's very slow. It's very, very slow. And, and besides the fact that it's really slow, I would say that a big thing for lateral raises is, is certainly, I think, holding it at the top because it's a great way to ensure that the muscles that that you're targeting is what got it here. If you were using your legs, if you were using your hips, etc., you won't be able to hold it up for a second. So, yeah. have you tried doing single, like like hanging, where you're? Have you ever tried that? I've tried single arm stuff and I do hanging not like as it. well. 
I like it for people who don't know how to contract that body part because what it does is shifts the focus even more so to just that one yeah. area. Yeah. Um, so it's I, a great I, I, Yeah, I found it helpful for me just to take any swing out of it. And I mean, I, I actually, I'm, I'm back to, to two arms now, but I was doing single for a while just because I felt I could, I could progress faster on it. I mean, again, it was slow progression, but um, mm-hmm. just because I feel like the quality of the reps were better over time, that just equaled better progression. Yeah, yeah, you can control what is actually stuck, progress. I felt like I was almost getting artificially stuck at a lower weight just because I wasn't coordinating my 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 two arm raises properly. So it's not yeah, like I'm almost yeah. like a clumsy guy. I don't know. It's just something I, I tried, and I was like, "Well, hey, this seems to be working a little bit better. I'm gonna do this for a bit." And, and I know what you mean because you know you weren't training those muscles as efficiently as, as you wanted to, so they yeah. weren't actually getting stronger. So you took a moment, took a step back. They get stronger, and you're like, "Oh wow, we're back to where we were." And sometimes even yeah. even beyond that. Yeah. But yeah, for the lateral raise, I would say hold it at the top, and then also a big one. But the way you do it is it makes it a little bit easier. Like the 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 hanging um, at an angle like that is you don't want to go all the way down because the first few um, degrees, what that's going to do is is actually it's your rotator working. So that's why instinctively, when we get tired on a lateral raise, we kind of let them come down a little bit more mm-hmm. because we get that elasticity from the rotator. Mm-hmm. And it's a lot easier to, you know, bring them back up. Mm-hmm. So I like to stop right about navel area. Okay. But uh, the way you do them, it kind of does that by default. So, yeah, yeah I'd true. say start with single arm, holds at the top, and be very, very, very patient with uh, your progress. A lot of it will have to be subjective. Yeah, increasing rep quality. And then you can always, I mean, I've also liked, I don't know if I'm sure you've done it, but I've, I've found that like rest pause type sets uh, oh, have been yeah. very helpful with, with shoulder training in particular. Time efficient too. Yeah. Very time efficient. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, cool. So that's shoulders. Have you found like with lats, for example, I, I've heard from tons of guys, I myself, I feel like my lats took an inordinate amount of work to get to anywhere mm-hmm. to where I felt like they were proportionate with my upper body ascent or with my, you know, chest and shoulders. What are, what are your favorite like uh, isolation exercises for lats? You know, I think we'll start with the basics there. And I think basics, in lats, people think of pull-ups, but I mm-hmm. think with pull-ups, most people tend to fall for those. They, they tend to use those external cues, like um, get to that bar. I much prefer, or rather prefer, I prefer a pull-down. I prefer mm-hmm. a pull-down, and one of uh, a great quote that I, I, I took from one of my favorite strength coaches ever, Dan John, is that the lat pull-down, that cable should never have to be replaced. Um, like it should never have uh-huh. to be replaced uh-huh. and, and and that's something that the la- these last few years I've taken with me and it's, it's, it's a very smooth controlled motion where I'm focusing on the muscle groups that I'm trying to target yeah. with again holds at the peak contraction uh-huh. because it serves as a, as a checkpoint that yeah I got it here using the right muscles whereas like if I didn't yeah, you like, swing, swing it somehow for <laughs> exactly like it, you, you'll know if Every every time you pause and you hold it for a two Mississippi count, you will see that, okay, I'm in the exact same position. By the time you get to reps 9 or 10, 11 on a hard set of like 8 to 12, you'll see that you start to kind of get out of position a little bit. Yeah. And that's where, you know, you start to experience what I feel is actually true failure, which is technical failure. So, so yeah, I would say pull downs for sure and... Be, make love to the cable and with good holds at the at the end position. And the same kind of goes for horizontal rows as well. Is yeah. Same thing. If you can't hold it at the end, 
then chances are it's too much weight for you. Mm -hmm. And do you like to do both? Uh, would you like to vary your grip? So like you're gonna be doing, let's say your, your pull downs might be on a wider grip, your horizontal might be on a more narrow, if you found that to be helpful, or vice versa or whatever, I mean, or do you mm -hmm. not change it at all? You know, I, I think at some point I did until I found where that right mm -hmm. place is for me. And that will vary from, from person to person. There's certain places where maybe your biceps might, might be in a better line of pull. Yeah. And then they're taking a bit more from your back than you would like. Yeah. So, yeah, experiment with a few different grips. Find the ones that work for you. Uh, the only reason I ever changed my grips is simply for the sake of uh, avoiding wear and tear. But for the most part, once you kind of have a movement down, you want to keep doing that movement sure. uh, so that you don't have to change a movement and like relearn something and then master that one. Yeah, yeah. Makes sense. Um, have you have you liked standing like lat pushdowns at all? Kind of an awkward standing. exercise. You know, where like you so so you're you're up and you're you're going like this. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The, it's like a, a it's like a pullover but with a cable. Yeah, yes. exactly. So those those are that movement's gone so out of style in recent years, yeah. and it's it's such an effect. It's it talk about like that's purely what the lat does. It's, totally. it's just it's all lat. I, um, I did those. I did a ton of those when I was like when I when I was looking at pictures of myself, and I was like, my lats are too fucking small. I got to do something. <laughs> so I was doing a lot of those in addition to pulling and rowing and so forth, and uh, it it really helped. I feel like that was probably one of the best exercises for just pure lat stimulation. And and talk about a great lat activation movement. It's maybe a good way to, it, I've actually, I've used that movement to start my back days because mm -hmm. it just kind of, it sets up that mind muscle connection. Even if I fatigued it a little bit prior to doing maybe a, a bit more of the, I guess, compound movements where sure. my biceps are working, it, it just, it sets me up for success the rest of the day, which is another I think fine point that we, we kind of forgot about when it comes to the, the specialization of certain body parts is to a certain extent, maybe they should go early on in your day. Mm. It should be, it should be maybe the first thing you do. So maybe if you have tremendous, tremendous quads, I don't think in certain cases it'd be out of order to start with hamstring curls. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And that's, that's also one of the reasons why in the flip side with new people, why it's smart to start with your, with your heavy compounds that are going to give you the mm -hmm. most bang for your buck. Do those first when you have the most energy and when you also are just mentally up to it, uh, mm -hmm. as opposed to, you know, maybe exerting, maybe draining yourself by 30% doing other stuff. And now you're going to get to your heavy deadlifts. That's just all around worse. But in, yeah, but in this yeah. case, that's a good point where you might want to come in and start on what the specific thing that you're working on and then you know maybe your deadlift does is your second exercise but there's a reason for it yeah it used to be just a big no-no for me to yeah, do same. back before i press but oh, now okay. that's that's how it goes that's how it goes it's like I, I don't care if my platform for pressing is a little fatigued my chest is okay relative to the situation in my back so yeah i think order of exercises is highly underrated Totally. Well, great. I, I think we have, we've covered a lot. Is there anything else that's kind of floating around that you feel that needs to be discussed on the whole thing? I, mean, I, I think, think the body parts, we talked about arms. It's pretty straightforward. It's kind of, are there any tricep exercises too? I mean, curling, you know, you can do so much. You can bicep curl, you can dumbbell curl, you can hammer curl, you can cable curl, you can close grip pull up. I don't know. Is there really anything else you can do? Uh, I'd say maybe for triceps, like being aware that you have a long head and it, it doesn't get much love from the pressing. So, yeah. you know, getting some long head movements for the tricep there. And what, what are uh, like your two or three favorite movements for that? I like a simple, just overhead single arm dumbbell. 
that way, you know, both AC joints kind of get to do their own thing. You'll notice that, you know, one elbow is kind of shifted slightly differently. And a lot of elbow pain actually comes from issues in, in your shoulders. So um, I have found that to work quite well. But, but yeah, that's that's probably the, the when it comes to anything like arms and delts, those, those are probably the, the main movements is just uh, lateral raises. I, I don't feel that big delts have ever, outside of a few people, been built off pressing. You know, yeah. um, they're just kind of making sure that humor stays where it needs to be. So um, that, the dumbbell curls or just any curl variation of choice, making sure you don't cheat. Triceps, make sure you hit the long head. But one final note, I guess, on like these weak body parts is that there was a lot of body parts that prior to, to me getting into really good shape at some point, uh, I thought were weak body parts. And then it's funny, once you take off a layer of that fat, yeah. you're like, oh, wow. Yeah. Like, my my calves actually look okay when they're lean and the yeah. same thing i think especially for women it's like it's true. you're not as bulky as you think if, if you trim some of that body fat off you'll see that hey, you actually look a lot better than you're giving yourself credit for so and that's i, I actually found it particularly true with shoulders as well if you're because you know they, they kind of lose their mm-hmm. identity when, when there's too much body fat it just kind of becomes like your whole, whole arm is just kind of amorphous almost and then you know you start getting down as for as a guy, you start getting down to maybe around ten percent or something around there, and all of a sudden, you know, you can you can see that you can see your 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 shoulder capping, and you can see where it kind of cuts in, and there's your bicep, and all of a sudden your shoulders don't look so bad anymore. It's, it's funny because it's it's the same thing we've been telling uh, a lot of us male trainers. We tell our female trainees like, hey, you know, it's it's it's. If you get leaner, it's going to look better. That's really what it comes down to. Yeah. But we see it all the time. Like, yeah, same thing here. When I'm in the off season, it's like I lose like my pecs and abs become one thing. Yep. I get the same thing. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> get the same thing. My chest gets very round. Like, I, I, you know, the, the, the awesome chest is the flat squared. And yeah. I feel like I have to be so lean just to have a semblance of that. Whereas, you know, if I'm just not, uh, I, mean, I don't even really get all, I don't have a, I don't, I'm not a competitor, so I don't have an off season per se. I try to stay fairly lean throughout the year, but even that, like if I'm not shredded, my chest just starts to round and it starts, I don't know. I mean, we're also our worst critics, of course, yes. but you know, it's cause we look at our, ourselves every day and just kind of pick ourselves apart. But I know what you mean. Yeah. So sometimes one, one other thing that may be worth mentioning is um, with legs and the ice applies both to men and women, I think equally is, I don't know if you've seen this, but I've seen that a lot of people, they do a lot of quad dominant work and they don't do very much hamstring specific work. So they'll doing, they'll be doing a lot of lunges, a lot of squats and so forth. And of course involve the hamstrings when you're doing right. But, and, and that's a, bad you know bad for your knees and bad just especially if you're if you're an athlete and it sets you up for for injuries and so forth um, but then i think also aesthetically there's something to be said there that i've seen a lot of people with impressive quads but their hamstrings you know they don't do hamstring curls they don't do i mean i like rdls and hamstring curls are the two that i do the most of but you know i've made that a point i've inserted that into a lot of people's stuff saying you know i like the squats i like the front squats i like all that but you know, let's add a hamstring exercise every week as well. Let's make sure that your hamstrings are, at least we're, we're trying to balance between quad and hams. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, part of your hamstring curls your leg up and some other muscle groups extend your hips. So it's, it's important that, like, the, the way you're doing it, where you have your Romanian deadlifts and then you have your hamstring curls. And that's truly a complete hamstring program, which, yeah, again, I think there will probably be, probably be a listener or two that perhaps skips on certain body parts. And I know that for me, when I started, it was about the chest. Like I wanted the chest. Yeah. 
And then I was like, hey, you know what would go really well with, with chest? <laughs> biceps. <Some> shoulders. <laughs> oh, sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. For me, it was biceps, of course. So, you, know, so. <laughs> you start to add things, and then you're like, you know what? When I turn around, I don't look like I lift. Let me add something there. Um, so, so you know, eventually you're going to want to train everything. So if, you, if you're listening and you're not, it probably would be a good time, um, especially those body parts that are not as popular. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, cool. Well, I think that's a pretty extensive, I think we've covered just about everything that can be covered in, in a general kind of discussion on the topic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And hopefully the, the listeners got something out of that. But yeah, I guess it, in a nutshell, I'd say just be patient, especially with your isolation work and, and that it is really important, but yeah. it's also something that it just takes time. It takes time. And there's a reason why if, if, if you really have found a weak point in your physique, there's a reason why it's a weak point. It's because it's a stubborn muscle. I mean, for me, my chest and biceps, all they grew quickly. But my, I'd say everywhere else in my body, took quite, my quads were decently, they responded pretty well too. But everything else took quite a bit of work. And that's just the way it is. Here we, here we are, Mike. You and I, we still wear long socks, right? That's so. right. Or, you know, pants, <laughs> pants to the gym. <laughs> All right, so last always, where can people find you? Let's see, you also obviously are, are a coach uh, with three with the team you know, 3D Muscle Journey. So if you want to just give a quick plug on you, your work, what you have, any, any projects that you are in the middle of you want people to know about? Yeah, so 3D Muscle Journey, that's that's my squad, that's my team. 3dmusclejourney.com is a website. You can find us on YouTube as well, Team 3DMJ. And we have a podcast ourselves. And nice. it caters mostly to... Just contemporary bodybuilding issues and a few other just spontaneous topics that are pretty interesting from time to time. You can find myself and the rest of the coaches on, on Instagram as well. And those are the avenues in which we're most active. And we try to do a good job of mixing it up, you know, having fun with our lifting, with our social media, but then also trying to be uh, as, as informative and uh, and also live the lifestyle. That's yeah. the thing we're, we're really sold on. We absolutely love this as much as... I think anyone who's listening to this this podcast, and I do think it shows. That's great. Awesome. So uh, that's everything. Thanks again for for coming on to talk. And um, you know, you're the you're the last of the three DMJ crew. I've, I've I've interviewed you all now, so I know that uh, I've been getting a lot of good feedback. People really like the interview, so I'm sure they really like this one as well. Also, considering that it is something people have been asking for, so here it is. Awesome. Thank you. My pleasure. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Thanks again. Hey, it's Mike again. Hope you like the podcast. If you did, uh, go ahead and subscribe. I put out new episodes every week or two um, where I talk about all kinds of things related to health and fitness and general wellness. Also, head over to my website at www.muscleforlife.com where you'll find not only past episodes of the podcast, but you'll also find uh, a bunch of different articles that I've written. Um, I release a new one almost every day, actually. I release kind of like four to six new articles a week. Um, and you can also find my books and everything else that I'm involved in over at muscleforlife.com. All right. Thanks again. Bye.